Well, it was a snowy Sunday morning in the mid-80s, and uh, my parents were driving to church, and I was in the back of this tan station wagon. I remember it had wood paneling on the side. And uh, we were driving by uh, uh, University of Wisconsin-Madison apartments, and outside was a guy hitchhiking with a Bible in his hand. My dad pulled over, and he was, he was, a, he was a pretty stocky-built dude. And he says, can I get a ride to church? And my dad says, yeah, sure. He says, can I bring some friends along? And he said, okay. So I think it was like three or four built dudes come into the station wagon, all part of the UW-Madison wrestling team. And my parents, it was back in that day, they throw me into the back of the station wagon, right? No seatbelts, those kind of things. And that started a relationship between my parents and a lot of the UW wrestling team. Uh, we housed two of them in our home because we lived near the campus. And also, that's when tofu started coming into my home. Um, I don't even know this, but wrestlers, they had to try to make weight. So there was a lot of tofu for them to kind of fast to make weight. And that was brought into our diet, so not really what I wanted. But uh, that's what happened when wrestlers live with you. Um, and it really opened up so many more gospel conversations with U UW students that really came and lived in our home through the years. Well, we're going to see a passage that's much like the strangeness of uh, picking up a hitchhiker before church. And it's kind of God's expansion strategy in the early church. It's really surprising. And it really, what it does, it displays God's relentless pursuit to seek and save the lost of people we might not expect. Again, we see God's expansion strategy in the early church is surprising. And what he's doing is he's displaying his relentless pursuit to seek and save the lost, even people we might not expect. So let's look together in Acts chapter 16. I'm going to take it in three parts. Right now we're just going to look at verses 1 through 5. Follow along with me as we look at God's word this morning. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for obedience the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The word of the Lord. If you're just joining us, welcome. We're going through the book of Acts. Again, this is a book written by a physician named Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he wrote this book to a friend, and also to us, to give the certainty of the message of salvation for humanity through Jesus. Saying, here's what happened in the life of Jesus. Here's what happened in the early church. I want to assure you of what you have been taught, that it is true. And here we are, 20 years after the resurrection of Christ. 
And Jesus promised this before he ascended into heaven to his followers. That the Holy Spirit would come to them, and that message of the good news of Jesus, it would go to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we've seen that's taken place in Acts. A few years earlier, we saw that Barnabas and Paul had gone to Cyprus and then gone to Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. This is like the far reaches for the people of Jerusalem, that far. This is the ends of the earth. And they share the gospel there, and people come to faith. Now Paul has new companions. Silas has come with him. And they're going to go even further this is what's classically known as the beginning of the second missionary journey of Paul, going even further places. And this is really God's master plan for the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And here we see the gospel is going to go to what is modern-day Europe for the first time. And for the next three weeks, we're going to see three separate characters and these three separate characters who are in Europe are surprising characters. They would think this is where God starts. This is where he brings his gospel message to first. I think there's one word that's to describe what God wants for his messengers as they share the gospel and the way that God lays it out for them. The word is being adaptable adaptable. Adaptable in how they share the gospel, adaptable where, and adaptable in who they share the gospel with. And that might give us some thoughts too here in the church for how we share our faith. Not to make it so much on our timetable, our comforts, our schedule, people that we might like, it's not simply going to be, I'm going to make sure that I share the gospel at noon on Wednesdays at my favorite restaurant with my coworker Jane, who I really like. It actually might be more surprising and greater than that. Evangelism might surprise us. We need to be adaptable in how, in where, and who. Well, this is what's happened here in verses 1 through 5, is uh, Paul is going back through the places he shared the gospel with years earlier, three to five years earlier. It mentions Lystra. This is a place where Paul was stoned, right? And you think, oh, this might not be a place where a church has um, kind of been formed because he was stoned there. No, a church has taken place there. Church planning has worked, even in Lystra. And here we see he picks up Timothy who people are speaking highly of. We probably think Timothy is one that was converted when Paul was there years earlier, and he really becomes a mentee for Paul. Paul calls him his son in, in uh, the book of 1 Timothy. And here we see something stands out. Maybe you didn't see it the first time, but I'll say it again. Paul circumcises Timothy. Talk about adaptability. There it is right there. Um, I don't even want to go into what it means to be an adult male and circumcised. Um, and that's probably very shocking for us to even read that and see it. But the truth is, that's actually not the most shocking part of these first five verses in chapter 16. 
The most shocking thing is that Paul, just earlier at the Jerusalem Council, vehemently talked against circumcision. And then later here in this passage, he goes about and shares this very verdict to the churches that he's planted. Why would Paul at one time just earlier say, you don't need circumcision or the Mosaic law, and then he circumcises Timothy? What is happening here? This is, oh, light just went out, okay. Um, no, here you realize to win people, Paul says this, he wants to be sensitive to the cultural preferences of people to win them to faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he wants to be a Jew to the Jews. All things to all people. That's what Paul talks about. And you see that Timothy, who has a Jewish mother, and many people might know of his Jewish background, they might be distracted that this man from a Jewish background is not circumcised. So Paul, to be able to talk to these Jewish people, to be around them, what he wants to do is to be able to be adaptable to who they are, to reach them in who they are and in their context. It does not contradict his message earlier that says the Mosaic law of circumcision does not save you. But at the same time, I will circumcise Timothy in order that he might be around these Jewish audiences we are talking to, that we might win them to faith. In our context, specifically in the PCA, the Presbyterian Church in America, we use this language a lot. The language is this. We are firm on our theology, but flexible in our methodology. I'll say that again. We are firm on our theology, but flexible in our methodology. Hudson Taylor is an example of that. He was a missionary in the 19th century, and he wore what's called in China a cue. It's the classic way of shaving your head except the top and this long ponytail braided. It was called a queue. And most missionaries in China in the coast would not wear the Chinese dress. But instead, Hudson Taylor, when he went into inland China, would wear Chinese clothing and would dye his hair black and braid it and make it long into a queue. And Hudson Taylor said this, Let us in everything, not sinful, become Chinese, that we by all means save some. Fixed theology, flexible methodology. What might that look like in Wisconsin? Let us all drink PBR to win some, but be sober. Maybe in Wisconsin it looks like this. There's lots of different ways. I don't even know this, but Scandinavian culture is what we're in here, Northern European culture. And there is a huge uh, kind of background of public education is huge with that kind of culture. What would it look like that we would embrace public schools here as the church to win some? But still remaining firm on our theology, on sexual ethics, and other things. 
Also, we live in a culture here in northern Wisconsin where families are valued. Sports are important. What would it look like for us to participate in club sports and athletics that is huge in northern Wisconsin, but still honor the Sabbath? What would it look like for us, us to be all things to all people, flexible in our methodology, whether it's ice fishing, loving the Packers, loving the arts like we do in Appleton, to love the refugee that is in our place, to adapt to who they are, whether Afghanis, Afghanis or Congolese, or Hispanic culture that is in our area. What would it like, be like to be all things to all people, to win people to Christ? I'm a church planner, right? I take this seriously and everything we've kind of adapted as a church. The liturgy that we use as a church was not just by happenstance, or that's what you do in the PCA. No, that was a conscious choice, knowing that we live in an area with many Catholics and Lutherans that are used to this kind of high liturgy, that they might be comfortable in a service, that they would see that even in what they grew up in, there is life and there is the gospel. Fixed theology, flexible methodology. Whether it was fish boils in our backyard, whether it was theology on tap that we did as church planting, going out and meeting people where they are at and loving them to be all things to all people that we might win them to Christ. That is what it means to be adaptable to how we share the gospel. Let's move on. Verses 6 through 10 here. And they went through the region of uh, Phygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, here, again, Paul is in the regions that he had been to before, the cities of Antioch and Iconium, which are the areas of Phrygia and Galatia. And he is probably, again, visiting churches that he's planted. These are, now he wants to move into further western Turkey, which is not the, the continent of Asia. This is called a region of Asia, even though that is Asia. But this is a region called Asia at that time. Now, the trek that would be the most simplistic, and the one that Paul is probably thinking about, is staying on the mainland in Turkey, going west, down the Via Sebaste, this road that traveled to the largest town in Asia province, which was Ephesus. This seems to be their plan, but the Holy Spirit stops them. We don't know how the Holy Spirit stopped them. Maybe it was travel restrictions. Maybe it was this inner premonition. Maybe it was road closures. We do not know, but the Holy Spirit stopped them. So then they take a route north 
to go to North Asia, the northern part of Asia. And again, they are stopped. And this makes them to go west, again, to Troas, which is right on the sea, the Mediterranean Sea. And we see that when he is in Troas, Paul receives a vision of the Macedonian man. Macedonia is a region in northern Greece, across the Aegean Sea. There's much speculation of who this Macedonian man was. Many argue that it was a vision of Alexander the Great, that Alexander the Great talked about the unification between um, uh, the Roman Empire in the west and the east. And this is the kind of vision that Paul has of the gospel going to the west and the east. Some people think it's Luke, the writer of the book of Acts and the gospel that lived in Philippi, but it seems like Luke is picked up in Troas because we move from they to we in this passage in verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, we sought to go into Macedonia. Now Luke is a part of this adventure. Maybe Paul picked up Luke because he was sick. Luke's a doctor. Maybe that was the sign of where to go. God made him sick in certain places. All the speculation of why these things might have happened. And speculation of who this man of Macedonia was. But through all that conjecture, I think we can make some major principles that have been said. One, ways were shut. Two, ways were opened. Third, a way forward was shown. And lastly, they reasoned together of what to do. It says here, they concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them, meaning in the region of Macedonia. So these missionaries, after all these things happened together, they reasoned together that it made sense that they would go to Macedonia. Aaron and I, uh, we moved to Colorado in our first year of marriage uh, to work in Boulder, Colorado, and to, for me to go to seminary at Denver Seminary. And uh, I really had a passion for church planting. And that was really our plan, to plant a church in Denver. I helped in a church plant um, in, in the city of Denver, and then they asked me to go and think about planting a church in an area called Stapleton. And that was our plan. That was what we thought. That plan was frustrated. We didn't know why. Then we helped at another church plant north of Denver. And again, the idea was to plant a church um, in the kind of the, uh, the Denver-Boulder corridor. Again, that plan was frustrated. Many people commented to us in those churches, it's weird that the doors are closing to these opportunities. But then a door opened quite widely for us to come back to Wisconsin. Uh, that was not our plan. Uh, I, uh, I thought after I left for school to go out east for school that I would never come back to Wisconsin. Uh, and here God brought us back to this state. I cannot tell you how many people now that I live in Wisconsin, when I tell them I lived in Colorado for 10 years, they say to me, you came back here from Colorado? You know, I wondered that myself. 
But I think over the years, God has been showing me he knew better than I did. He knew what was better for my family. He knew what was better for what the state needed. He knew. Are we adaptable enough to listen to God where, where God wants us to go? Even places where you might not think are best. But God knows you need to be there. A certain workplace. A school that needs your influence. A child that you might have that has certain needs that now you need to be in a certain environment with these other people. A season where you have to be staying at home, not working. What kind of friendships would develop in that season of life? I don't think this is where Paul and his companions thought they were going to go. They didn't know they were going to have to pick up Luke on that route. The gospel would go to Europe. But God knew better than they did. They transformed the Roman Empire through this missionary journey. They might not have seen it, but they trusted in where God would have them. Are you adaptable? Adaptable to where God has you? The passage goes on. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace. And the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia. In a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. One interesting tidbit of Acts is when you see Luke comes along for the journey, uh, the narrative becomes a little bit more vivid. He shares more about the time period from day to day. He shares other facts that we might not have seen before, like the island of Samothrace um, between, in the Aegean Sea. He talks about the city of Philippi being a leading city. Him being from Philippi, he has pride for his city. It's even not the largest city in Macedonia, but he calls it the leading city. He's reminding us that this is an eyewitness account, that he is along for this journey. And this city that he's from, Philippi, is called Little Rome. See, all the veteran, a lot of the veteran soldiers um, from Ro the Roman Empire retired in Philippi. It had Roman annexation, meaning it had no taxes. 80% of the inscriptions at that time versus like 40% or 50% in places in Asia Minor were Latin, not Greek. So this is a place of much Roman influence. And it would make sense 
that Paul's usual modus operandi, the way that he goes about and shares the gospel in places is going to synagogues. But there is no synagogue there, it seems. So he has to go outside of the city. You have to realize in real Roman towns, religions that were outside of pagan religions, Roman religions, they weren't allowed to worship within the city gates. So the Jews might have to travel outside the city to worship. Paul, probably hearing about a place where the Jews were worshiping outside the city, goes and finds this prayer group by the river. And what does he do? He comes across a group of women following Jewish customs, probably from Gentile backgrounds. I just want you to, like, we just read this story. Maybe you're familiar with this story. Let's just put into perspective how surprising this story is. Paul and his companions have been directed across the Aegean Sea, the harder route, by a vision of a man of Macedonia. And now his first encounter, missionary encounter, in Macedonia, in Europe, is a women's Bible study by the river. You have to realize how outside of the ordinary this is. That God would go and call Paul to reach women shows God's amazing love to break down barriers. See, Paul and his companions could have showed up and said, oh, it's a bunch of women, which were, I'm not bashing women here. I'm saying that's the kind of perspective of women back in that age. They're not the influencers, they might say. They're not the power players. Why would we share the gospel with them? You let us hear God to a women's prayer group? We're out of here. No. Instead, they share the gospel there. And here, this one woman, Lydia, a Gentile who's following the Torah, a merchant who probably works in these high circles because she travels in purple clothing, which was a color of royalty and very rare. Here she is, a widow who seems to have some wealth and a home. That God knew that this woman would be a hub for gospel ministry in Philippi. And that's where the church would start. It's amazing how sometimes we just elevate Paul, right? And the missionaries, they were so smart. They knew the plans and ways to go and how to unfold this message of the gospel to all of the Roman Empire. No. God had to direct him all that way. And God led him to this woman who God was the one working upon her heart. It was God doing the work upon her. All Paul had to do was share. And God did the work. <laughs> I, just, I love this passage. At the end, it says what? 
um, it says, And after she was baptized, her house was well. She urged us, saying, If you judge me, you fail the Lord. Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Here, this Gentile woman, just got to love her moxie. She convinces the apostle Paul to come to her house. The great Paul. There are great lessons here. That we should not assume who God is calling and who he is not. It is God who works on people's hearts. I'm telling you, if you are scared about going to this evangelism class that we're doing, that we're going to teach you all the tricks of the trade, what to say, how to have the right smile, there's a handshake you give to people at the right time, you're going to the wrong place. The pressure is off you. It's not what you say. It's not a right disposition. It's God that breaks through. And he'll just put you at the right place to say stupid things so he'll show you it's his power and not yours, that he's working in people's lives. So maybe we should just spend the next three weeks praying, God, work in people's hearts, and I hope we're there when it happens. <laughs> maybe that's what we should do for three weeks, and guess what? We will be praying. Let's come and pray together. That we might have eyes to see and ears to hear who God is working upon. And that we would be around them and have boldness to share the gospel. That we wouldn't go by a river that's a prayer group with a bunch of women and say, Oh, this isn't important. But we'd say, No, God sees something that I don't see. That through this, Lydia would start the church in her home in Philippi. And she would be the first convert in Europe that the church has celebrated for 2,000 years, she would be the opening for the gospel in the Roman Empire. For some reason, God kicked us out of the Girl Scout building a few years ago. And I'm telling you, we were praying hard, where are we going to go? And before uh, the COVID year, uh, we were transported to Jefferson Elementary, and we had been praying as a church, God, lead us to people, that we would be a light to this school. And one Sunday morning, a teacher from Jefferson Elementary walked early into our, where we're having church at Jefferson to do some work on a Sunday morning, and Allison Emke greeted her and invited her to the service, and she came. And then she came with her daughters, a single woman. And this church loved her, and cared for her, and shared the gospel to her, and her life was transformed. Her and her girls, this single mom. I was commenting to David and to Aaron, if we had to move all of our stuff, and go through all of that change and all of these things for the Sheila family to be here, it was worth it. It was worth it. See, God said Lydia is worth it. 
I will take you across the Aegean Sea. I will take you to places you have not gone before. I will take you to groups that you might not be comfortable with because I love her. Do you know that's God's love for you? That's how great he is and how adaptable he is towards us that he became flesh for us. That he came from heaven to earth for us. That he came to sinners, to enemies. You know, my hope that some of you might be here today and wonder, does God really love me? Does he care for me? If you're here, it shows he moves heaven and earth for you. That you would be here is a work of his grace. We need to be reminded, I think we're not reminded enough. I was listening to Lincoln Duncan about this recently. He says, we are dead, as Paul says in Ephesians. We are dry bones, as Ezekiel would say. And it is God that brings life. It's amazing. From death to life. You know, we're going to have these park parties this summer. We're going to be at Pierce Park and Herb Park and Tallulah Park. And we're going to be around people. We're going to invite people to come. If just one person comes and hears the gospel, it's worth it. It's worth it. seems to be a reminder to us. A God that is so adaptable to us, how much more can we be adaptable to those around us? We can enjoy bad beer with a friend at a bar. We can take interest in other people's cultures and learn about them and care for them. We can go to places that might not be number one on our list. We can be with people that might not be our BFFs. People we might cast off, but God has not. Why can we do this? Because God did that for us. And there's great news. God is preparing the way he is working in people's hearts here in the valley. Will we follow his guidance in how we reach them, in where they are, in who they are?